welcome back to the Let's Call It Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. This season, we have been exploring the Wolves of Mercy Falls by Maggie Stiefather, aka the Shiver series. We are currently on the third book forever, and this is our third episode exploring this book, so we're, we are getting into it today. So Cole has decided that he's going to turn back human for a little bit to ask questions, mm-hmm. and that's where we left off. Yeah. Chapter 32 is from Grace's perspective. Grace and Sam cook in the kitchen while Cole is laying on the floor of the living room. They spot a white wolf and Grace hopes that it is Olivia. Sam tells him that it's Shelby. Shelby, of course, pees on the grill in the backyard. You know, she's the pissy wolf, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sam says that he thinks she is getting worse and Cole busts into the kitchen saying that she is psychotic. Grace tells them Shelby had tried to kill her multiple times while out in the woods these past few weeks. Sam says Shelby's just scared. Cole yells at Shelby to get lost. Their conversation is interrupted by the phone ringing. Grace answers the phone to find Isabel on the other end. Is Sam there with you? Isabel asked. Yeah, do you want to talk to him? No, I just wanted to make sure that you... Isabel stopped. There was a lot of noise behind her. Grace, did Sam tell you they'd found a dead girl in the woods? Killed by wolves? I looked at Sam, but he couldn't hear what Isabel had said. No, I said uneasy. Grace, they know who she was. Everything inside me was very quiet. Isabel said, it was Olivia. So we know what happened to Olivia now. Yeah, she was the girl that Shelby killed in the first, or in the prologue. I had no idea. (laughs) I'd forgotten it too, so you're good. I knew that Olivia died because I was spoiled on that. Yeah. I was not. But I guess that the dead girl was Olivia. The thing is, is when you were reading the prologue, I was kind of thinking, like, is this Grace because of the whole scene that was in a later Mm -hmm. chapter? But then I was like, "Mm, I don't know, because those were similar scenes. Yeah. And I was like, "Mm, not sure, but I guess I'll find out. Yeah, Yeah, because you stopped halfway to do it. So you were like, well, maybe this is Grace. And Olivia's death, I'm like... I was kind of meh about, because you never get attached to her. No, you don't. And she's like kind of a bitch a little bit in the first book. And then she becomes a werewolf. And Grace watches her frolic into the woods, thinking that she's going to have her happily ever after. Like, you're not too concerned about it. Mm -mm. So her dying is kind of like, okay. Anticlimactic. Someone someone had to die. It was going to be Olivia. We had to have the plot move along some other way. Yeah. Yeah. Also the confusion over... There's a dead girl. Grace and Olivia are missing people in Grace's life thinking it's Grace. Okay. In chapter 33, it's from Sam's point of view and Grace is grief stricken and refuses to sleep. Sam tries to make her feel better then tells her a story of Tom Culpepper helping him out one time, explaining that he doesn't want to see him as a totally evil guy. How did he help him out? He uh he got stuck on the side of the road. With a flat tire yeah. and um, no one to help him. How long ago was this? He had to be at least 16. He was, he was 16. Yeah, he was 16. A few years. So it was a few years. All right, chapter 34, which is from Isabel's point of view. Isabel gets a phone call from Stan's phone, and she answers only to find that it's actually Cole on the other end. Cole tells her he needs stuff on her dad's dime to be overnighted to them, stuff that he needs to catch back. He explains to her how he wants to ask Beck about moving the wolves. She relents, letting him come over to her house. They talk about Olivia for a little bit, and then Cole tells Isabel he likes Grace, and then clarifies he likes Grace with Sam and the way they love each other. Isabel asks if he thinks she is lovable. He tells her she wouldn't open up enough to let anyone try. She tells him she doesn't know the difference between not fighting and giving up, 
And then he proceeds to kiss her softly and tenderly. He pulls back and says that would be how he would kiss her if he loved her. If I loved you. At first I was offended by this. When I first read it, I was like, how dare he like Uh pretend? But no, I'm starting to think, no, he actually did love her, but he was. Yeah, he he, he was. Yeah. I like that, which I always like this moment in books where, you know, before it's very like passionate, kind of aggressive. Mm -hmm. But then there's that like serious, like intimate moment. Mm -hmm. It's romantic and cute. Chapter 35, we have Sam's perspective. Sam is at the bookstore talking to his boss. She offers him a full-time job, and she would give him a raise with his shop. Their conversation is then interrupted by Officer Koenig. He tells he tells him that they need to go down to the station to talk with an investigator. Sam's boss tries to stand up for him, but it's no use. She lets Sam know that if he needs anything, to call her, and then he leaves with Officer Koenig. We would like to point out <laughs> that that is how you pronounce Officer Koenig's name. As, as yeah. And I was mistyping it the whole time. Well, you were misreading it. Yeah, I was misreading which it. Which is pretty normal. Like, I do that all the time. But I always saw it spelled correctly and was like, how do you pronounce this? And I was like, Cohen doesn't make sense, but okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. And then I looked it up this morning, and then I looked up the pronunciation, and it was Koenig, because it's German or whatever. It does not look like Koenig at all. No. Maggie, why? It's spelled K-O-E-N-I-G. Mm-hmm. Which throws me off. It's not Koenig or Koenig. Koenig. Who would have thought it? Okay. Not us, apparently. <laughs> no. Uh, chapter 36 is in Cole's perspective. Cole remembers an interview he once had in a hotel room where he was strung out and clearly fed up with <laughs> that came with being famous. The interview asked him and his bandmates if they believed in God. Cole is silent in his response, so Jeremy answers for him, saying... Cole's religion is debunking the impossible. He doesn't believe in the impossible. He doesn't believe in no. Cole's religion is waiting for someone to tell him it can't be done so he can do it. Anything. Here's an origin story for you. In the beginning of time, there was an ocean and a void. And God made the ocean into the world and he made the void into Cole. Present Cole harps on this conversation and his innate need to debunk the impossible. It applies to everything he is doing now. His purpose. He ends up pulling out Sam's cell phone and calling his old friend and bandmate, Jeremy. He says his friend's name and immediately Jeremy recognizes his voice, responding with, Cole St. Clair, you're not coming home, are you? This just kind of like adds to Cole's character, you know, how he's always in the mission to like prove something. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily about himself, but like, you say I can't, I'll show you I can. Like that kind of personality. Yeah, which he definitely has. And then I would also like to add that I said off the record, does Sam not realize that his phone is missing and the Cole has it? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Sam's just not concerned with his Razor flip phone. I don't know. Nope. He is not concerned at all. You think he would be a little more concerned, but no. <sighs> Cole probably just stole it and he has no idea where it is. He probably thought he lost it somewhere. Honestly, yeah, probably. Like, uh, it's somewhere. You know, he has his list of priorities. Sam mm-hmm. does. A phone's not one that of them. Is way down there mm-hmm. even though it's like sam so many people would com- be able to communicate with you if you had, had a, this if yeah you kept yeah. up with it but he doesn't want to hear isabel's voice so obviously <laughs> you take that you took that a different way than i did okay how did you I take thought it of, like the clear like sadness mm-hmm. like all of her situation where he was like i can't deal with that right now yeah and i felt like you were like oh he's just annoyed <laughs> which we all know that isabel wants to be 
Sam's friend or want Sam to be her friend and not vice versa at all. Mm-hmm. But I-, I thought that was why he said that. Maybe. All right. Now we're on to chapter 37, which is from Sam's point of view. So Sam is in the police station waiting to be questioned. He doesn't fully understand why he's there. They have already questioned him about Grace's disappearance weeks ago. He overhears the conversation of the officers around him, hearing words like body. When the officers get there, it's one we've... No, we've seen him before. Officer Hayfort. Yeah, wasn't he on the side of the road with that guy? He was, but we hadn't seen him... I didn't have him logged in my memory when I wrote this. <laughs> officer Hayfort and Officer Koenig. <laughs> okay, well, let's put it this way. When the officers get there, it's one of them is one that Sam hasn't seen before, and then Officer Koenig is sitting in with them. It's the other officer that's talking to Sam, and he's asking him where Beck is. Sam tells them that Beck is sick with cancer and is receiving treatments in Minneapolis. The officer, which is Officer Hayfort, writes it down to check into later, though Sam, of course, wishes he didn't or wouldn't. Sam asks what he's being questioned for this time. In a clear attempt to get him to crack, or at least to get a read on him, they show him a picture of a dead naked girl in the woods. And Sam, of course, knows that this is Olivia. He asks why they were showing him that. Officer Hayfort says the body was found a few yards from Beck's property line and... The great debate! Yeah, the, the great, great debate. debate. Uh, this only, you know, furthers our confusion because previously the Culpepers were mentioned as the body being on their property and that this is a few yards from Beck's property line. So we're kind of confused as to <laughs> how close these properties are. another episode and we were <laughs> like, are they neighbors? Like, what's happening? Yeah. I still don't understand. I need a map of Mercy Falls. I, I, I was thinking yeah. that. I want a map. Maggie... There might be one online. We'd have to look up to see. Probably not. Sam insists he didn't kill anyone. And Officer Hayfort says that she was killed by wolves. But he, for some reason, he doesn't think that wolves put her on the property naked. Sam tells him he had nothing to do with it and asks why he would ever do something like that. And then this is quoted from the book. Honestly, son, I have no idea, Hayfort said. I wasn't sure why he said son. The rest of his tone is entirely at odds with it. Some sick son of a bitch did this, and it's hard for me to get in that mindset. What I do know is this. Two girls who knew you have disappeared in the last year. You were the last person to see one of them. Your foster father hasn't been heard from in months, and you're the only one who seems to know where he is. Now there's a body near your residence, naked and half-starved, and it seems like the sort of thing only a really troubled SOB would do. And I have right now in front of me a guy who was abused by his parents, and they tell me that screws you up pretty well. Would you care to comment on that? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) For real. And then we go on to what Sam's thinking. When Hayfor had first started speaking, a tiny fleck of anger had scratched and twisted inside me. And every moment he kept on, that fleck grew and grew. After everything I'd lived through, I was not going to be reduced to a one-sentence definition. I lifted my gaze to Hayfor and held it. I saw his eyes tighten a bit and knew that, as always, the yellow of mine was disconcerting. I felt suddenly utterly calm, and somewhere in my voice I heard echoes of Beck. Is there a question in there, officer? I thought you wanted me to account for my time or describe my attachment to my father or tell you I would do anything for Grace, but it sounds an awful lot like really what you think I've done. Wait, what? But it sounds like an awful lot really what you think I've done. No, it still doesn't make sense. Like you already know what you think I've done. Yeah, that's what he's saying. (laughs) That's not what's written there. (laughs) Maggie, she definitely wrote this. I'm going to start over. I heard echoes of Beck. 
Is there a question in there, officer? I thought you wanted me to account for my time or describe my attachment to my father or tell you I would do anything for Grace. But it sounds an awful like you already know what you think I've done. Are you accusing me of kidnapping girls or killing my father? Or do you just think I'm screwed up? Hey now, Hayfort said. I didn't accuse you of anything, Mr. Roth. You just slow that teen rage right down now. You just slow that teen rage right down now. You gotta say it in the right rhythm. I know, it sounds weird though. Yeah. Hey now, Hayfort said. I didn't accuse you of anything, Mr. Roth. You just slow that teen rage right down now. And that's not the correct order for that, no. You just slow that teen rage right down now because no one is accusing you of anything. I didn't feel bad for lying to him earlier if he was going to lie to me now. Like hell, he wasn't accusing me. What do you want me to say? I shoved all the photos of the girl, Olivia, at him. That's horrible, but I didn't have anything to do with it. The officer then goes on to ask Sam where Beck and Grace are. Sam refuses to say anything else. Officer Hayfort then tells Koenig to take care of Sam. Koenig starts to take him to his car, but then Koenig's phone starts ringing. While he's on the phone, Sam overhears him someone greeting Tom Culpepper. Hayfort is, of course, being all buddy-buddy with Tom, and Tom inquires about Sam's interview. This is, of course, the moment that Tom spots Sam and greets him in his Tom Culpepper way by asking how Beck is and stating how he's shocked he's not there with Sam. Sam said... Beck would be there if he could. Then Tom tells him that he's been offering legal advice to Lewis Brisbane. You really are gorked, aren't you? Tom said. Word for the wise. Try the insanity plea. God bless America. Beck always liked them, cracked. Koenig snapped the phone shut and turns to Tom and Sam. He looks at Tom and says he's just taking things out on Sam that he didn't like about Beck. Koenig then escorts Sam from the building and away from Tom. Ooh, wee. What an interrogation. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm not shocked. Also, like, rereading that, like, Sam just doesn't fare fare well with most adults. No, he doesn't. Uh, No. I mean, the ones who put him in question, really. You know, we've seen him interact with other adults, and Mm -hmm. it's fine. But, I don't know, because they are accusing him. Not accusing him, I guess, but being like, hey, are you involved in this? And he's like, wait a second. I know what your game is. Yeah. No, I'm not. And friggin' Tom has to shove his nose into it. Why is Tom there? Why does he need to be involved with Because he is involved. He's got his hands and everybody... He's got fingers in everybody's pies. (laughs) But he's like, so how'd the boys interview go? And I'm like, you're not a police officer. It's not your daughter whose body was found. Maybe maybe it was on your property. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, you're just rich, basically. Chapter 38, we got Grace's point of view. Sam is running late coming home, which worries Grace. She has spent the whole day being restless, stuck in the house alone, and now she's worried. She had tried to call Isabel, trying to convince her that it would be a good idea to tell Rachel that she's alive. Isabel says no, that because of the recent news of Olivia's death, Rachel would most likely freak out over the truth. Isabel then concedes, saying Grace should tell her friend about being alive, but maybe leave out the wolf part. Then Grace asks for another favor. She wants Isabel to ask Brown School to see if she, Grace, can graduate after making up credits in summer school. And Isabel agrees to this. Short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Grace and Isabel are BFFs. Yep. Just. Just. Also, Grace wants to tell it. Rachel. She wants her friend back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but she does. <laughs> Chapter Later 30. parts, yes. Yeah. It makes sense. Chapter 39 is from Sam's perspective. Koenig let Sam ride in the front seat of the car. While riding, Koenig told Sam, I know Hayford is wrong. I know what the common factor is, and it's not you. Sam asked what the common factor was. Koenig... 
Only replies with the wolves. At this point, we know that Kanan expects something. And he's likely not far from the truth. He asks Sam to tell him the truth because they are running out of time and he needs to know where Beck is. Sam admits to Koenig that he honestly doesn't know. I was there for the first time, Sam. It wasn't legal and I regret it. The whole town was choking on Jack Culpepper's death. I was there when they drove them through the woods to get them up against the link. I saw a wolf that night and I've never, ever forgotten it. They are going to drive them from the woods and shoot every single one of them from the air. Sam, I saw the paperwork to prove it. Now I'm going to ask you again and you are going to tell me the truth because you and the wolves are out of options except for me. Tell me straight, Sam. Where is Jeffrey Beck? Sam tells telling Beck's in Boundary Wood. When Koenig goes on to ask if Grace is also there, Sam stays silent. And you... Koenig said, you were there. Tell me that I'm crazy. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that when I saw a wolf that night with Jeffrey Beck's eyes, I was wrong. You're not wrong, I said. Koenig asked about Grace being a wolf too. Sam explains that she had to be bitten to become a wolf. Koenig snorted softly. Just incredible. I knew it. I kept finding things that led me back to that and I could not believe it. And when Grace Brisbane disappeared out of the hospital and left just that bloody hospital gown behind, they said she was dying, that there was no way that she could have left under her own power. She needed a shift, I said softly. Everyone in the department blamed you. They have been looking for a way to crucify you, Tom Culpepper more than anyone. He has Hayford and everyone else lapping out of a bowl. They would very much like to hang you with this. Sam tells the officer that Grace isn't stable enough to reappear yet. Koenig asks why the wolves killed Olivia, seeing as she is one of the pack. Sam says that it must have been their rogue wolf, Shelby, who has attacked people before. Koenig asks what the problem is and how he can help. Seeing he can trust the guy, Sam explains that the plan is to move the wolves, but the thing is, they don't have anywhere to move them to yet. Koenig says he has land north of Boundary Wood, a peninsula with acreage and the big house, though no power, that the pack could live comfortably on for the time being. Words are hard, man. Words are hard. (laughs) Peninsula. So, Koenig might be one of the good guys. I don't know. Were y'all still sus at this part? Are you still sus at this part? I never thought Koenig was a bad guy. I wasn't really sus about him with anything. Was this the part where I was like, wait a second, Koenig and Beck had a torrid love affair? Yes. I think so. <laughs> you did send a Honestly, video. Maybe. He did know what his eyes looked like. Yeah, that's whenever I was like, no one just knows those things. Mm-hmm. And he also said, I didn't put it in the thing, but he also said that his dad said his uh, roommate when he was in college would say that he turned into a wolf sometimes. I hoped it was Ulrich, but... (laughs) So this peninsula, you think it's going to work? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, like, because I hadn't read the rest of it at this point, like, I thought it would work anyway. Like, what? You're like, we need mm -hmm. a solution. This is there. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, like... Even before the stuff that happens later, I was like, this this is going to be it. There's That's it. There's no other option. Yeah. yeah. I do love having, like, someone else get involved. Mm-hmm. They they need that. Yeah. <laughs> they need an adult. They did need That's what I was adult. about to say. They needed an adult. Even though I don't think he's that much older than them. Like, he's mid-20s. Yeah. I think that's what was mentioned in 
Book one, he wasn't that old. No, they mm-hmm. called him young then, and then yeah. Olivia said he was cute. Mm-hmm. I forgot that Beck's first name was Jeffrey. Just yeah, always <laughs> be Joffrey. 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 Beck. Either way, he's a fancy man. I'm like, no oh. wonder he he's everyone calls him Beck. Um, <laughs> although this going between this and the audiobook of you when I was writing out the notes was very interesting because like there's a Beck character in both, but they're mm-hmm. wildly different. You got Jeffrey and Guinevere. Yes. <laughs> and Guinevere in the book is a nympho, like straight up nympho. So I'm like, Whoa. Okay. All right. So chapter 40, which is from Grace's point of view. Sam finally arrives home bearing pizza and news of Koenig's knowledge and offer. When you ask her what she thinks of this plan, she says she needs to think it over with another piece of pizza, of course. She asks why Cole doesn't want any. And Sam explains that Cole said he was fasting. Sam obviously was too scared to ask why because Cole didn't seem unhappy. Grace mentions how she thinks the wolves leaving Boundary Wood wouldn't have to be permanent, that they could use the time while the wolves are all in hiding on the peninsula to come up with a better plan. He reminds her that they need to worry about getting the wolves out of the woods first, which is very important. Grace asks Sam if Officer Koenig offered any insight on getting Sam out of trouble about her current missing status. Um, She wonders if Koenig has a way to get the police off Sam's back. However, this, though, doesn't concern Sam at the moment because, like Caitlin has said previously, he has priorities and this is not one of them. Yes. He wants to focus on getting the wolves out of the woods, as he stated before. Grace decides she has to tell someone from her life that she is alive. No dead Grace, no murder mystery. Sam, of course, doesn't think this is a good idea. He asks if she trusts her parents with a version of the truth, and Grace replies, They're not going to try to kill me, Sam. She immediately realizes her mistake, saying such a thing to a boy who's actually been almost killed because he was a werewolf and apologizes profusely. He stands up and she begs him not to go. Sam told her he has a present for her in the car. Great segue, Sam. Sam gives her the sundress that he had bought in a previous chapter while she's feeling uh, like crap about her comment earlier. Her mood improves, though, and she goes to try on the sundress. And um, let's just say Sam's reaction was a... Uh, <laughs> say the line. Say I'm it. I'm going to. Give me a second. <laughs> say it out loud. No, I'm not there yet. Stop looking at me. Okay, go on. Grace's mood improves, though, and she goes to try on the sundress. And once she comes back out, Grace... Uh, and Sam are very much into the moment and they end up doing, as Peyton has stated, the devil's tango. (laughs) I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) No, I really enjoyed though how Sam was like, are you sure? Like, are you ready? Even though they've already had sex before a few times. But, you know, she's been through this time, this transition. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like whenever your person, whoever like goes through some sort of like accident or trauma. Yeah. Like childbirth. You know, and you're like, are you ready to do this? Like you having a lot of time to heal do you from wanna, that, though. Yeah, but, I mean, not to say you're mentally prepared, but <laughs> but um, and then I also like how they kind of argued a little bit, and you could see the differences and like their mm-hmm. personalities and priorities. Where Grace was like, "We need to think about this," and Sam was like, "No, check box one, check box two, check box three. Yeah, <laughs> priorities, Grace, priorities." And she's like, "Yeah, I know." That's because Grace is the logical one out of the the mm-hmm. two of them. Yeah. Chapter 41, we got Cole's perspective. And then we have some stuff from the chapter directly. This new concoction felt like poison. Sometime after midnight, I stepped outside. It was black as death on the other side of the back door. But I listened to make sure I was alone. My stomach was tight with hunger, a sensation at once painful and productive. Concrete proof that I was working. The fasting had made me jittery and watchful. 
a cruel sort of high. I laid my notebook with the details of my experiments on the steps so that Sam would know where I'd gone if I didn't come back. The wolves hissed at me. They didn't sleep even as everyone else did. I rested the needle against the inside of my wrist and closed my eyes. My heart was already kicking like a rabbit. In the syringe, the liquid was colorless as spit and thin as a lie. In my veins, it was razors and sand, fire and mercury. A knife notched every vertebra in my spine. I had exactly 23 seconds to wonder if I'd stayed in my bed. That left two to think, holy I burst out of my human body, splitting my skin so fast. I felt it slough off my bones. My heart was exploding. Overhead, the stars wheeled and focused. I grabbed for the stair, the wall, the ground, anything that wasn't moving. My notebook skidded off the back step, my body plummeting to join it. And then I was running. I found it, the mixture I was going to use to jerk back from his wolf body. Even as a wolf, I was healing, joints knitting back together, skin stitching shut along my spine, cells reinventing themselves with every massive stride I took. I was an incredible machine. This wolf body I wore was keeping me alive, even as I dragged it, dragged it, and stole my human thoughts. Your Cole St. Clair. One of us had to be able to maintain our thoughts if we were going to move the wolves. Had to at least be able to remember enough to gather the wolves together, get them to one place. There had to be some way to convince a wolf brain to keep a simple goal. Cole St. Clair. I tried to hold on to it. I wanted to hold on to it. What good was it to make myself shift to conquer the wolf for just a few moments when I didn't get to keep the triumph of it? Cole. Cole tries to remember Sam's face and name. Then, all of a sudden, he is attacked by Shelby. Of course. They fight for a little bit, and Shelby gets the upper hand until she yelps and goes back. Cole realizes the gray wolf Beck bit her to get her back, with Paul behind him showing aggression towards Shelby. Cole can feel himself shifting, and he notices the wolves are getting wary of him. He hears a growl, then realizes it's for Shelby. They are protecting him. I have the concoction. Yes. To solve all of our problems. Ah, uh, mad, mad scientist. scientist. To fully explain, he's turning back human, but the wolves are still protecting him mm-hmm. even, as a human. Even though they're smelling him becoming human and they're kind of wary of that, they're still protecting mm-hmm. him. Uh, that adds a little bit later on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 Um, and also, like, he's doing some of this to see if he can keep his human thoughts and his wolf form. Because, like you said, like, the person leading the pack out, the wolf leading the pack out, needs to be aware of what they are doing. Mm-hmm. All right. Chapter 42 is from Isabel's perspective. Isabel went over to Beck's house with Cole's package of dangerous toys. <laughs> she figures she, she can hang out with Grace while she's there, so it won't seem like she went just for Cole. He opens the door, seeming to be in a good mood. They go inside, and Isabel asks where Sam and Grace are. Cole tells her Sam left, and he must have taken Grace with him. She wonders why he didn't ask them. He replies, we're not married yet. Talking about him and Sam. I was wondering who that was referring to. I was very confused by that line. I thought it was funny, but I was like, what? Yeah, he was like, me and Sam aren't married yet. (laughs) We're getting there. Yeah. I think he'll propose soon. Hopefully. (laughs) I mean, he keeps proposing to Grace, but. Or she proposes to I was like, no, it's the other way around. Let me get married. That's why he's reluctant. He's like, I got to save myself for Cole. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Isabel asks if Sam knows he has turned the kitchen into a drug lab. He tells her it's been approved. This has been FDA approved. Thank you very it's much. Been Sam approved, I think is exactly what he says. Yeah, he says it's Sam approved. He asks her if she will help him break into her school's lab. She says no. 
I love like the delivery of all this where he's like, can I work into your school slab? Like, will you help me? And she's like, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> she says, I might help you get into my mom's clinic, though. Oh, you mix. I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't either. A minch. Oh, you minch. He said, I have no idea what that means. I replied, Isabel. Me neither. Sam said it the other day. I like the sound of it. <laughs> he just trucks. Me either. Me either. That was pretty much all you needed to know about Cole. Right there. He saw something he didn't quite understand, liked it, and just took it to be his. Isabel tells him she got him something, and it turns out to be a miniature car, just like the Mustang he keeps telling her he used to have. They start to dance to the loud music that's been playing in the background this whole time. My thoughts were flashes in between downbeats. Beat. My hand pressed to Cole's stomach. Beat. Our hips crushed together. Beat. Cole's laugh. Beat. We were one person. You're an addiction, I told him. You should know, he said. And that's how it ends. I love it. Okay, I want to see how this this word's pronounced. So not only do we get Grace and Sam doing the Devil's Tango again, now Isabel and Cole dancing. have done the Devil's Tango. Minch. It's Minch. Yes. You Minch. And it actually means a person of integrity and honor. <laughs> That adds like a whole other element to this conversation that I love. <laughs> yeah. Also, the toy car is so cute. It is. Where did she get that? She probably, when she was getting all those dangerous toys. She probably she ordered like it with on it. On Amazon or yeah. whatever they had. And they were like, I'll get this too. Mm-hmm. We're being honest. search it. Yeah. <laughs> she did. So cute. This car one of the greatest things about the next few chapters. All right, chapter 43, which is from Sam's point of view. Grace decides she wants to see Rachel, and Sam, being the person that he is, agrees to take her. They find Rachel in the school parking lot, and Sam gets out and attempts to wave her over to the car. But because of everything going on, Rachel is cautious of Sam and everything that he's suspected of. After some back and forth, which is hilarious because Rachel's like, I ain't getting that close to you. <laughs> Boy. Grace finally sticks her head out of the backseat of the car and yells at Rachel to come over so they don't look suspicious anymore. Rachel sees her and understanding that there's some truth behind the boy's words and attentions goes to ask Grace a few questions in the car. This is also the Rachel who was like, um, I'm not riding back to your house, Sam, for a private, but I'll drive to your house. I'm getting there. Yeah. Chapter 44, Grace's perspective. We are still in this scene. So Rachel is still cautious and Grace tells her the truth, like about turning into a werewolf, that kind of truth. And of course, Rachel doesn't believe her because who would? However, she does agree to go back to Beck's house to talk as long as she gets to drive. Because in the movies, evidently, no one drives themselves to their own deaths, which I can disagree with. There, they sit down and Grace explains everything. And I mean, I wanted more scenes where like everyone was in a room just talking out. And Rachel's like, what about this? And Isabel's like, oh, you idiot. Like, it's this. And Cole's like, okay, let's check. Did she ask questions like Isabel did? Rachel? Like, you know, um... Well, what happens if you went somewhere hot one time or... Oh, no. Because that's not Rachel. Why would she? (laughs) No. She's like, there's this weird thing that's going on. Okay. But also, she still doesn't believe them. Chapter 45 is from Isabel's perspective. Y'all are going to enjoy this chapter, maybe. I love that. Like, yeah, this is, I love the ending of this chapter. All right, the quote in this is, I was against felonies when a misdemeanor would do. Using the school's lab would have constituted breaking and entering. Using one of the spare keys for my mom's office was merely unlawful entry. She has studied this up. Yes, she has. It's funny because, like, her dad's a lawyer Mm -hmm. and her mom's a doctor. And she's like, 
I could do both. Yeah. <laughs> Isabel and Cole sneak into her mom's clinic. Cole cuts himself and puts the blood droplets under a microscope. He shows Isabel the results, seeing the wolf toxin in the blood bouncing around. Cole is giddy over the discovery, though Isabel doesn't understand the relevance of this revelation. Cole explains to her, Sam, Sam is the revelation, which she doesn't get. Then they hear someone else in the building. They hide together under a counter. Isabel's mom walks around the clinic, seeming irritated according to her size. She drops some papers and Cole kisses Isabel. <laughs> they keep kissing until Isabel's mom came into the room, spotting them immediately. She simply asks her daughter, Isabel, why? <laughs> then she recognizes Cole. Isabel worries her mom recognizes him as the lead singer of Narcotica. But her mom says she remembers him from the stairs when Cole showed up at Isabel's house for the first time, naked. Naked. They go to leave, and while leaving, Cole trails the little toy car up and down Isabel's arm, giggling all the way. <laughs> it's so cute. It is super cute. Um, I do have a question. What does, which it was probably explained, but I just don't remember, what does Cole looking at his blood have to do with Sam being the revelation? I still haven't figured it out. Well, I mean, he's looking <laughs> at the blood and sees, like, the in- wolf infection essentially mm-hmm. and he's looking at this to try to understand and see like how how he can use what he needs to do or do experiments to figure out like how to get rid of it like if you're basing it on an actual disease mm-hmm. like how would you eradicate it and I'm, I'm thinking that he thinks Sam is a revelation because of course Sam Sam is the one who got their previous cure mm-hmm. as in quotes here because he he's taken it he became human and he stayed human this entire time mm-hmm. so like sam has to be the revelation because he's the key to whole doing what he needs to do to get an actual cure yeah yeah we'll keep which going. i was kind of shocked i was just like like cole knows all all these aspects of sam like staying human since the shot of meningitis that he took as a wolf and i was kind of like well why doesn't cole ask sam for some of his blood and yeah. actually look at his blood under the microscope as well and compare them. <laughs> he does later. <sighs> Can I have some of your blood? That should be one of like his crazy antics earlier though. Like, I mean like, I'm vials of blood. <laughs> I think it's just a few chapters later. He's like, by the way. Yeah. Also, I must have skimmed that because I don't remember it. Yeah. What what inspires Cole to kiss Isabel at this moment? Is it uh, just close up proximity? Like, I think it's just because there's something like i think there's two reasons well, one he's really happy right now yeah <laughs> that and close proximity and um them needing um a diversion for whoever's gonna about like we know who it is her mom yeah. mm-hmm. opening the door and like seeing them there i love her mom's reaction <laughs> isabel why isabel, why uh, are you still doing this why the lab? Why, she's why like, why are y'all click? under the counter? Never mind, I don't want to know. I just like that. She's, she says that, turns around and leave, and then Cole drives the toy car up Isabel's arm. And I was like, what? It's so cute. It is. It really like matches Cole's character right now, though, where he's just like doing random and like, he's just happy. What is Cole like happy? A maniac in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. All right, chapter 46, which is from Stan's Perspective. Sam thinks about the little normalcy that came with Grace's present and Cole's focus on his little experiments. Sam makes plans to go see the peninsula with Koenig and Grace tells him that she wants to go with them. Sam then tells her that Koenig may make her go back to her parents seeing as she's an underage runaway and 
he is a cop. She tells him that she will go to see her parents to talk to them after they look at the peninsula together. Sam disagrees with this decision for a minute, but then, of course, he relents. I'll do anything you say, Grace. Yeah, we know who wears pants. With your pants As but... stated probably several episodes ago, we know who wears the pants in this relationship. Hell yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Cole didn't know what to do while she was Sorry, Sam didn't know what to do while she was gone. And Cole didn't know what to do with Sam while she was gone. (laughs) That's also true. He keeps talking about how useless he is, like, when Grace (laughs) is not there. Like, that's the kind of love you admire, Cole? Like, very codependent? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Chapter 47, we get Isabel's perspective. While at school, Isabel goes to talk to a counselor about summer school for Grace's sake. She runs into Rachel. They talk for a minute, and they're kind of arguing in that teenage way about Grace, being like, no, I'm her best friend. Do y'all remember those days? Yes. Then Isabel warns Rachel about how she can't tell anyone the truth about the wolves. And Rachel's like, oh, Okay, so everything that Grace and Sam discussed with me is true. You got Isabel being like, don't you dare say anything. I will cut you. Like... (laughs) Is this the chapter that says that Rachel looks like a caricature? Probably. It's from Isabel's point of view. Yes, it was. And I thought words are never truer words have been spoken into this book. And then and then when you read like her interactions and Isabel's thought process, one, it becomes very obvious that Maggie Stiefvater did this on purpose, but also that Rachel has like another face essentially, as in she hides all Mm -hmm. of her real self behind it and like no one knows what she's really like. That's why like I'm like, Rachel, who are you? Like, why are you here? Who are you? Okay, so Rachel is, you know, a character, all right. Yeah. Or quirk e character. But she's hiding a lot. And I really wonder what she's into, what weird she's into. So I want to discuss what weird we were into in high school and middle school because I feel like we might have been a little bit of Rachel. Yeah. We are Rachel. I've had like three coffees this morning. Yeah. <laughs> this is me at age 15. So I decided to go back and get on my Goodreads to look at it. Even though I wasn't on Goodreads in middle school, but I remembered a lot of the stuff that I read in middle school. And so I put it on my Goodreads. Also, you can follow all of us by going through our link tree on our Instagram mm-hmm. and you will see everybody's Goodreads. But one thing, I was obsessed with Rose Red, the miniseries by Stephen King and I read The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer which was super interesting and it says it's written by Ellen Rimbauer which isn't true it's written by Stephen King pretending to be a female social lot in the 1900s early 1900s writing a diary series but it was good I liked that um I was super into manga where my love of manga started yeah we hopped on that train together yeah um I'd already watched a lot of anime obviously Inuyasha is still like one of my favorites Death Note I got into Death Note a lot in eighth grade it just makes me think of all those years that watching Adult Swim after hours when I probably shouldn't be and watching oh, on yeah. Saturdays to watch those shows. Oh, yeah. I remember getting in trouble because I was on Adult Swim because my mom worked nights. I was like five, though, so it's probably <laughs> not. That's a little early. <laughs> my mom worked like the night shift when I was a kid so that, you know, she could be with us during the day and I could have us at night. And I would stay up and watch Toonami. Yeah. And so I would watch like Sailor Moon and Yunu Yasha and Cowboy Bebop all the time. Uh, love Cowboy Bebop. Me too. I can think of the intro song right now and it's it's iconic. Yeah. I also got into uh, Percy Jackson around that time. Oh when- yeah. You read that during seventh grade. I read it in late high school and early college. Late so- high school. <laughs> I still have never read it. I've only read like three of the books. 
Yeah. Uh, so I got into that. Um, I cursed myself and read Vampire Night. You, we cursed us both. Ugh, it was awful. And I should have known better because the first time I read the first book, it was Caitlin's 13th birthday party. 14th birthday party. I don't know what you're talking it about. It was eighth grade. We sure. went to go see The Deathly Hallows oh. Part 1. <laughs> And we were in Barnes and Noble, and I picked up Vampire Night, the first book. I couldn't afford it, obviously, but I was going to sit there and read it while y'all looked at some romance. Twilight-inspired romance. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably. Looking in the YA section, yeah. Yes. What if I was buying, you know, no, never mind, I didn't buy those. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. My shiver books, though. I'm sitting there and I'm reading this book and I swear to God, this guy is sitting there too. I remember that this looks now. like that looked like the dude off of Lovely Bones. I a hand to God I looked this. almost exactly like him. And he was talking to this blonde girl who was around my age, I just assumed was his daughter, and he offers her candy. Oh girl, run. But it was lemon heads. First off, if you're going to lure children, lure children with better candy. Um, How about you don't? (laughs) Don't lure children. Candy. Yeah. And then he. Kids don't take from strangers. And then he started. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And then he started talking to me and like. I got super uncomfortable and so I just like ran to your mom and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to stay right here for a minute. I don't think I told her till a little bit later what had happened. Yeah. It was interesting, but so I should have known then not to read Vampire Night, but I did. <laughs> the signs were there. The signs were there. That almost. just makes me think of that CC pizza interaction me and Caitlin had. Oh my like, God. Oh, birthday, birthday party. party. <laughs> my birthday party. When was what is that? it about birthday parties? Both of those weekends y'all were talking about, I threw up. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you throwing up. You threw up in my on the railroad by my house. Yeah, I know. I was with you. <laughs> and then the, the eighth grade one, I threw up behind you on a textbook <laughs> in class. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Weird <laughs> that happens to us. I haven't us. thrown up since then, mm-hmm. so I'm good. How old do you think that guy was? He had to be late teens that was talking to you, too. I have no idea. Yeah, he was in his mid to late teens, probably. That was such the weirdest. He's 25. He's the weirdest f***ing interaction. Uh, so what they're talking about is we went to Cece's Pizza. This is pizza. just story time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make it. Yeah, just happen. we'll take that. Uh, so how old were we? Like 12. Yeah, yeah we were like 12 ish 13 somewhere around there so it had to be like my 12th birthday party i knew it had to been like 12 or 11 but i couldn't remember which one and the way that it was set up we were all in booths mm-hmm. and like y'all were in the booth behind me but yeah, i could was, still talk was, to y'all yeah it was just me and caitlin in the booth yeah, we were in the were- trash booth because everyone was putting their trash on our table like everyone we were with yeah was putting like all the like oh we're done with this pizza we'll yeah. put this plate here and you know the sad thing is even though y'all weren't in the same booth with me I mainly talked to y'all or I was yeah. I was paying attention to what y'all were doing yeah. more so than because I cannot remember Jack about anybody else. I don't remember anyone else that was remember. there. I have no idea. And I'm sure I had like a reason, but I guess it was because the guy was with you and it made me like, um, you know, you were worried. I was worried. How sweet. So I was like, so I could not pay attention to anything but you guys. Meanwhile, we were letting you get harassed by Lemonhead guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I understand. I don't know. I've always been that person, though. I can handle myself. I'm not going <laughs> to let anybody go down, though. But yeah. So this guy, like, randomly hops in the booth with Caitlin and like, Reba. Right across from yeah. us. Yeah. Because yeah. me and Caitlin are sitting on the side closest to where Peyton and everyone else's booth is. I remember looking up and being like, do I know? 
I don't know this person. Yeah, I was sitting. And like, in my head, I'm like, why are you here? I was and sitting so, on the inside, and Caitlin was sitting on the outside. We really should have just got up and left. But. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> and I don't know. I remember just, like, giving a look, being like. Uh, yeah, because Caitlin doesn't talk to people. And then. Especially not boys. Yeah, and then we just, like, ignored him. Yeah. But he kept on talking to us. Something about money and Obama. Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> digging through my, like, little wallet from Claire's, you know? And he's like, oh, you got more change than Obama. And I was like, am I supposed to think that's funny? Like, I'm 12 years old. I barely know who Obama is. Because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> it was very odd. It was. And then and then his, yeah, his friend coming up, like, in the middle of that and be like, sorry, ladies, we got to go. And I was like, Fuck. Like, what inspired you to flirt with? preteen girls yeah like obvious preteen girls yeah this, this isn't today's time where the preteen girls look like they're in their 20s oh no i oh, had no. no eyebrows i had brace and oh, no, i have braces yeah but i like we looked, I looked like a baby we looked like our age i mean maybe a little bit older because we were taller but yeah. not enough yeah, for him to come that up was the time period of time where i was i was always told i looked older than what i was mm-hmm. but not I, that much older i don't know if i can find any pictures of like me at that age because i didn't have social media yeah but it was a very odd experience and then we went to the movies and i ate too much popcorn and i threw up on the railroad tracks behind peyton's house you threw yes. up on the railroad tracks so we walked past peyton's house and came back down the street you threw up in the middle of the street no, all the I way threw back up in my hands and it went on my face trigger warning for throw up yeah. it was disgusting you know that's always always how friendships work like you know that's how me and tessa became best friends puke i threw up in her hair <laughs> when we were in first grade and she was stuck with me after that and then um the other time i threw up on our harry potter weekend where you were harassed by lemon head guy yeah was in the middle of class on a friday the friday before thanksgiving break Mm -hmm. and i was not feeling good that whole day but i had five tests because they thought that was a good idea in middle school they don't do that anymore they can't do it no that's so dumb i hated that and so i was like trying to push through even though i felt like and we were doing something in a class I wasn't there, but I feel like I knew this information anyway. Yeah, me and Caitlin always sat beside each other in like because we had every class together almost. Yeah, we had a few together. Um, and <laughs> I I didn't eat anything at lunch. I don't know what I just said that made you laugh. <laughs> you said yeah, we had a few together. <laughs> Trying to distance yourself from me. I wasn't feeling good, and I didn't eat anything at lunch because I wasn't feeling good. And then my stomach rolls. And I threw up all over my textbook on my desk. And Peyton reaches behind because she was in front of me and like touches the back of her hair (laughs) to make sure she didn't get any on her. And then our teacher has no idea because there was this guy in there, this boy, because we were kids, who like was always trying to be the class clown and everything, Mm -hmm. who was distracting her for just being a complete idiot. And I like literally was like raising my hand covered and throw up, like holding my mouth so no more came out, which I should have just said something, but I didn't talk. And then another kid yells, she threw up and everyone had to go out of the classroom and it was so embarrassing. And then I still had to take another test before I went home. And I had the stomach virus. Yeah. But the next day, even though I woke up at 3 a.m. and threw up again, I was fine the next day. So we saw Harry Potter. So it was fine. Yeah. That's a BS that they made you take the test even after that. It, it, but it was before Thanksgiving break. So they were like, like, I chose to do it. They said you can either take it the week after Thanksgiving break or you can just stay for like the time that it takes for your mom to get here and take it. And I said... I'll stay. I did not do well on it. Caitlin, 
Caitlin and I were two completely different people because I'd have been like, take me home. I wouldn't even showed up that day. I'd have been like, they can do it on their time. No, I'm still like that. I'm still like, I'm going to go to work. It's going to be a day, but I'm going to go. See, not me. Uh, I mean, I'm also like that, Caitlin. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm better about it now that I'm an adult. But when I was a kid, if I felt even slightly bad, I was like, I'm not going. Some days I was like, I'm going to take a mental health day today. Now, I have done that within the last year. Yeah, because you need it. I did it in college, but not that often, especially no. towards the end. Oh, I didn't. No, I don't do it. Like, I don't just, in college, I never, like, missed a day, but when I, I had to be not in class. Because I, like. <laughs> I did it to work on other stuff for other classes. That I've also done that, too. I was like, if I go to class, I'm going to be sitting there working on this anyway. Yeah. Because we would all do that, like. In the education courses, we would sit there on our laptops working on our UBDs, like our lesson plans, while in a completely different class. The yeah. teachers knew. I mean, I in our undergrad, I didn't never take a mental health day. But like this past spring, I woke up one morning for my 8 a.m. class. And it was a week that we weren't doing on Zoom. We were doing it in person. And my heart was just beating out of my chest. And I was like, mm, no, we're not going to do this today. <laughs> so I just like texted the only person I knew in that class. I was like, can you take notes for me? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, cool, because I'm staying here. Yeah. Or like whenever I lived in the dorms and I knew I would have to walk everywhere, if it was raining really hard, I was mm-hmm. like, it's not happening. No, I'm not doing this to myself. So I had an epiphany a minute ago, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to interrupt any stories. Uh, So the guy that sat at the booth across from you since then like we had one interaction with a guy trying to pick up grace and reba at the skating rink or the ice rink oh i was like what and i've always thought that that was the same guy like i know it's not true (laughs) but like mentally (laughs) no you didn't you didn't always think that i didn't always think that but in my head since like the past few years you've been like that's the same guy i mean they they acted a lot, a lot. I didn't interact. The guy at the ice skating rink did not like redheads. No. So. And you were clinging to, okay, so here's how it worked out. <laughs> that was so a fun time. I liked you, the, the pitfall I had there. So there was a there was a group of five girls. All the girls got out on the rink but me because I tried to put on my shoes or skates Eight. and tried to stand up and I was like, oh hell no <laughs> i can't do this like no 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 my ankle's wobbling i'm not gonna be able to hold myself up caitlin however braves it out and gets to the edge of the rink and stays there by me the entire time on- oh i tried going but i kept on falling yeah so she kept on falling you look super cute by the way that day yeah I like i I-, <laughs> I feel like i can remember your outfit too it was so cute it was like a uh white jacket sweater yeah. thing with yeah. like puffs it was super cute and perfect for the time do i have any pictures I don't know. I, I don't know if there's pictures of you. I mean, I know there's a picture of me, what I was wearing that day. <laughs> I still have that jacket. Can we have like a 2000s party? We can. <laughs> Instead of a George Washington birthday party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Caitlin's turning 25 and she asked if we could have a George Washington birthday party. I just can't, we, it was silent. And I said, can we have a George Washington birthday party? And both my friends here look at me like, Shane's like oh, why? why? She's what like, you, you know, on? quarter. <laughs> Because Caitlin hates history. Yeah, it was very confusing. But anyway, so me and Caitlin are hanging out together. Like, I'm on the opposite side. It was super romantic for us. And... <laughs> and uh, you play about that narrative a little bit more. <laughs> I was like, we're playing up that narrative again? This guy... 
And I mean, it's kind of genius in a way, but a little creepy. Uh, every time he saw a brunette girl fall on the rink, he would pick her up, help her up, and like skate with her for a minute. So he did it with Grace for a minute until she was like, no, no, no. And then Reba falls. I don't falls. remember him doing it with Grace. Yeah, he did. And then Reba falls. Yeah, that was a fun time. <laughs> and he like skates with Reba. I have a picture of him and Reba on my Instagram. It's a very far back, but I love it. I, I, I mean, like, I have it twice on my Instagram. And so. I was like, Reba's first love. Blah, 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 Cause you know I'm me. What was his name? I what? said David and no David? one else believed me. Cause Caitlin kept saying afterwards, that's not his name. He didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> also, the only reason I remember that he that he um, skated with Grace is because I specifically remember Caitlin saying he doesn't like blonde. Yeah, girls. I remember you talking about that part. <laughs> we, we talked about our, one of the last episodes how horrible I was at that age. <laughs> so it's no shocker that I'm like. Uh. It started out because there were Caitlin's to the side, so the other four there were four of others of us, and we like paired up. And I was with another girl who knew how to ice skate. And she was, like, taking me down the rink to, like, help me. And yeah. she went to turn. And I just wiped completely. Yeah, out. she she fell. I remember. You fell hard. Yeah, and it was really funny, too. Hard. I was laughing because I was laying there. And then after we got back to where Caitlin and Peyton were at, that was when that dude came over. It was like, I thought, no, I think I remember now that I thought he was going in for a handshake. But he took my hand and then led me out yeah, to skate. Yeah, he did, for sure. And I was like what <laughs> and we went to do a loop around and then by the time we almost got back to where you guys were standing is what i felt when i was with him mm-hmm. when i also started laughing because i also thought that was really funny and mm-hmm. then he like hey, let me take you back to your friends and led me over and then left yeah i mean honestly i would not have fared well in that situation anyway no yeah, i would here's been like the no don't touch me no 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 like <laughs> yeah it wouldn't worked out well yeah here's i want to the- say i took a picture of you but i didn't post it because it wasn't funny it was super cute though i've got an, uh- i have to recreate that outfit What were we talking about? (laughs) What do you mean? Before we got into story time. We're supposed to be talking about the weird (laughs) we were into. We're just weird. And we did. Yeah. We We just just changed the story. We were just weird. We we just with Peyton's weird. Which then led us on to story. So this became story time instead. Yeah. Which works out. Well, you got any weird you want to talk about or stories? (laughs) (laughs) I thought of one, but I'm definitely not going to share it because every time I share it, I get so embarrassed. So you throwing up was embarrassing enough? No. No. (laughs) I've distanced myself from that one. Other things have happened more recently. (laughs) Not within the past few months. Um, let's see. Weird that I was into. I mean, literally everything. I was such a weird kid. She had an obsession with, or not an obsession, but she really liked Doctor Who and Haven. I remember those two. I started watching a lot of TV with my parents when I was like nine years old. And my dad started watching, I think he started watching, he was watching Doctor Who first. So he watched that. Mm -hmm. And then Torchwood, which is the spinoff. And it's a lot more friskier than Doctor Who. But of course, I still watched it. I also watched Grey's Anatomy, which I've talked about um, when I was nine years old. So... (laughs) But yes, I was really into Doctor Who before it was popular. And in high school, I would wear my Doctor Who shirts and some nerdy boys would comment on it like I was a poser wearing like a band of a band I didn't know. And I was like, bitch, mess with me. Try me. It's really funny because my first year of college, a Doctor Who shirt led me to making a friend. Um, we also watched a lot of sci-fi, which we watched one show called Warehouse 13, which was about they would find these artifacts around the world that have had special powers and put them in this warehouse. And then Haven, which is based off of a Stephen King novel or story. 
And then I also, Peyton really hates this one, but I loved Glee when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Like yes, when you I was did. a teenager. Loved it. I was all about it. I only listened to Glee music. If I knew a song, it was from Glee. That's still a thing. My mom's like, how do you know this song? And I'll say, it was on Glee. Of course I know it. Most of my Christmas music was from Glee. And then I just... As far as, like, books and stuff, I just read whatever was trendy or sounded interesting at the time. I mean, yeah, basically the same. Yeah. I got on my Instagram. Uh-huh. Apparently, we got divorced sometime in <laughs> high school. <laughs> says, happy birthday to my dearest ex-wife, cell phone stealer, selfie taker, and, of course, best friend. Oh, the bangs, girl. The, the bangs. bangs. Hey, Ray Boogie, we're d- I mean, that was, middle school is the period of time where I started getting into fan fiction because of Twilight. Hell so. yeah, me too. Yeah, so that's like the, probably the major thing. That was like the time that what I was into, not as into Doctor Who because I hadn't gotten there yet, but like Supernatural and Sherlock were probably mm-hmm. big parts of that time. Mm-hmm. My entire Instagram feed is just weird and mainly Caitlin at this point in my <laughs> uh, life. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, if we don't have anything else for this really weird-ass episode, <laughs> I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. Next time, we will be reading through chapters 48 through 62. And, yeah, remember to follow us on Instagram. My friends are on their phones right now scrolling through their Instagram. Uh, Instagram. I'm just looking at beautiful pictures of you. Cool, but we're doing a podcast right now. Sorry. You're the one doing the closing. I got, (laughs) yes, it is. It's obviously something. By the way, you're behind on your alimony. Come on. (laughs) I can't remember why we got divorced. I just know you always blame me for it. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, (laughs) cried, you know. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.